Hi everyone, Russ here, and I want to welcome you all to our first backstory episode. In this episode, we are going to be meeting our first two PCs. Before we get into each character's adventure, I ask their player a few questions so you get to know a bit about them and their character. I want to thank you all for giving us a listen, and without further ado, let's start backstory episode 1, The Box and The Blade. So, I'm sitting here with Sam, one of the members of our cast, and I'm going to ask him a few questions before we start this backstory episode. So, Sam, where do you fall in the LGBTQ plus spectrum? Wow, Ross, that's a very good question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I think, first and foremost, my strongest identity with like the LGBT community is with my gender. I am non-binary. My pronouns are they, them. Um, and then when it comes to, like, sexuality, like, romantic orientation, that's a little more of a, eh, sort of thing. I'm not straight. I have found myself attracted to multiple people, regardless of gender, but where I lie on, like, the ace or aero spectrum is more of the question. Alright. That's me! So, next question. What is your experience with D&D and just sort of role-playing games in general? Another excellent question. It's as if you've had these prepared. All right, so <laughs> um, I started Fight D&D. <laughs> what? Fight me. Yeah, I will. Um, just kidding. I lose that fight. Anyway, uh, I started uh, D&D two, one, two years ago question mark um with a group of friends i was introduced uh to this group uh through my boyfriend at the time um and it was one of the things where it was like he asked me it's like do you want to try and i was like sure okay and i fell in love and my entire life has revolved around it since okay fair enough fair enough yeah and let's see. So I was, I played in that campaign. I tried DMing a campaign. It lasted for two two sessions. I tried DMing another campaign. I think it's on eighth, seven and a half, seven and three quarters right now. Um, then I'm in this and I was in another campaign that lasted two sessions and another one that we're still waiting for that second session. So... I'm counting on you, Prison Pals. Sounds like you have a failure to launch problem over here. Yeah. There's that two-episode threshold you seem to be hitting. I hate it. I hate it so much. (laughs) 
All right. So who were you playing and what class were they? I'm playing Ghibli Stern. Uh, Ghibli is a 10-year-old rock gnome. Uh, they are an artificer, specifically a gunsmith. Um, so, yeah, they're a 10-year-old with a gun. It's great, and I love them. All right. And what does Ghibli look like? Okay, Ghibli is like <laughs> um, a foot and a half tall, if that. <laughs> um, they kind of have like this tan, freckled skin, and like this this big poofy dark brown afro-y hair that's just kind of a mess all the time they have a tooth missing um they usually wear like this blue vest thing uh and boots and band-aids they're a scrappy little 10 year old see there's a reason why i draw them is because i don't like explaining out loud Yes, there is character art on our Twitter, so you can always take a look at that. And um, check out my art Instagram account, um, at Sam plug. underscore Relum, I think. Or is it Relum Sam? I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be linked everywhere, it's fine. Okay, so with that, I think we are good to start the episode. Mm-hmm. I'm so anxious. <laughs> so, this... This day takes place over a year before our campaign starts. It takes place in the winter, and we're going to start out at the orphanage. The orphanage is a three-story building. The entire building is made of wood, and it's sprawling in its size. The bottom floor contains the playroom, the kitchen, and a few other public areas, while the upstairs floors all have bedrooms, an office, a small library, and a few other important places. The children's bedrooms all have bank bunk beds bed for the children and all the children are sorted into rooms that have the best fit so rooms that where everyone's around the same age if there are problems between the children the woman who runs the orphanage switches around the rooms to make sure that there's peace in these rooms she wanted to make sure that all the children feel safe gibbs you share a room with three other children a human boy a half-orc girl and a dragonborn girl they're all around five to ten years of age and are quite kind of nice. All of them seem to mind their own business, and none of them argue or fight with you. This morning, you wake to the sound of Evie opening the door. She opens the door and speaks out. Come on, kids. It's time for breakfast. Can I ask, like, around, like, is it, like, early morning? Is it, like, a little into the morning? It's, like, nine-ish. Um, it's not, like, super duper duper early. Um, you know that's the weekend right now. Like, it's sort of, like, days where you guys don't have to go to school or anything. Okay. Um, then when, uh, Evie calls out to the kids, Gibbs, um, is actually gonna, like, crawl out from under one of the beds. (laughs) Um, and just say, coming! All right. So Evie sort of laughs and gives you a nod and then heads out of the room and you can hear her opening other rooms down the hallway, basically relaying the message to everyone that, hey, breakfast is ready. Make sure you get up. Um, and I'm assuming you head down to breakfast unless there's something special you want to do this morning. Um, no, no, get, 
Gibbs has all day. They can just go to breakfast for now. I would like to make it clear that they were working on their toys underneath the bed. What sort of toys were they working on? They have little robots. Like, like, Can you describe them? Okay. So they're a type of little robots, like, you know, in, like, the cartoons where it has, like, that giant, like, winding key on the back mm-hmm. where, you like, you twist the key and it just, like, wobbles and walks um, mm-hmm. for a little bit before it probably, like, breaks down. Um, it's a lot of things like that. Um, and they come up with, like, a bunch of different designs, gives them, give them, like, names and personalities and things like that. Uh, some of them are like superheroes that sort of thing it changes Mm -hmm. they break very easily so all right so you go ahead and gather up all the things you're working on and you head down for breakfast uh breakfast is held at an enormous dining room and it's always quite a fiasco with 24 children and a few adults eating with you it's chaotic to say the least Um, But during breakfast at some point, Evie comes over, the woman who runs the entire orphanage, and puts a hand on your shoulder. And she says, Gibbs, there's a box in the office for you. After breakfast, if you'd like to go up there with me, I can give it to you. It was addressed to you, delivered by a courier yesterday night, after everyone went to bed. Well, what's in the box? I don't know, Gibbs. It's not my place to open something that's addressed to someone else. Okay, let's go right now, then. No. Gibbs, eat your breakfast first. But I'm... You need a good meal to have a good start to the day. But I am done my breakfast, and they kind of, like, just scoot, I don't know, whatever food it is that they're eating, like, kind of behind their back. (laughs) Evie gives you this look. Um, (laughs) Roll me an insight check. Okay, let me pull out these dice here. What color? Green. Gibbs is totally green. Uh, insight, you said? Yes, insight. Uh, that's a 16. 16. You know that Evie knows you're lying, <laughs> but she doesn't call you out on it. She just gives you a nod and says, Alright, let's go up to my office then. Yeah! And she leads you up the stairs. Um, Evie's office is immaculate. It is completely clean. There are papers organized. There's pens and ink. Everything in this office looks like it's in the right place, where exactly where it needs to be. Except for a small wrapped box that seems to be sitting on her desk. She picks it up and hands it to you. It says, it was addressed to you, Gibbs, so I thought you should open it. Okay, Gibbs is just going to, like, you know, stare at the box for a second, kind of hold it up to their head, to their ear, shake it a little, look back up at Evie, uh, kind of, like, making sure it was okay to open it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're just going to, like, rip into it. They're going to just plop so, down on the floor, sit down, and open it. So when you shake it, it makes almost no sound. Um... Like, there's no jingling or anything. There's nothing that's moving around in this box. It just seems to be some sort of paper-wrapped box. And when you tear it open, you realize that it wasn't like a cardboard box or anything that was wrapped up. The actual item was wrapped up. Because sitting in front of you, in your hands, is a metal cube. 
It's about double the size of your fist, and it is a beautiful brass color. The top of the box has a large G engraved into the metal, and three of the four sides around the box have a small hole within them. The fourth side on the front has a small dark piece of green glass, and the bottom of the box has two gears on it, one to the left and one to the right. The gear on the right has letters on it, while the gear on the left has nothing on it. In between those two gears is a large space where it looks like a third gear should be. Attached to this cube is a note that says, Solving a problem. Let's go through the steps to figure it out. The journey to solve a problem begins with knowledge. Head to the place where one can find information on anything. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, okay. Gives, is, after you're like staying in the box, looks up at Evie and goes, At, do you, who sent this? There wasn't anything on the box, darling. There was nothing besides your name. Ooh, mystery! Miss Evie, can I go to the library right now? Of course, darling. Just remember to be home for lunch. Gibbs is already running out the door. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, she sort of sighs and then heads downstairs, too. Um, so you sprint out the door, and you head to the library. The library is this large building that's made completely of wood and has hundreds upon hundreds of books inside. There are a lot of large windows that have let in light in order to light the place up completely. The woman who runs it, Miss Ethel, an elderly elf, sees you run into through the doors and immediately looks at you with a glare. Gibbs, you know not to run in here. But Miss Ethel, look, I have Shh. a... Miss Ethel, look, I have a box and I need your help. It's a mystery. Thank you for using your inside voice, Gibbs. <laughs> Sorry. And she reaches down and looks at you and says, May I see the box? Uh, They hold it up. Like, they're on their... I don't know. Did she kneel down? Either way, they're holding it She up She reached down to grab it. All right. They go on, like, their um, toes and hand, hands it to her. She picks it up and looks it over. And she says, hmm, quite interesting. I haven't seen a box like this before, but it seems like there's some sort of puzzle around this. Why don't we go to the section on ciphers and things of that nature? And Ooh. she hands the box back to you and begins to lead you through the, through the library. Miss Ethel, what's a cipher? A cipher is a sort of code it's something that people use to hide information and hide things oh cool i've heard of tubes used to seal messages and boxes used to hide magic items there might be some sort of information you can use in that area do you think there's a magic item hidden inside this box it's very possible but i do wonder who may have sent that to you uh Miss Evie said that she didn't know either. Hmm. Interesting. Was All it right. you? No, darling. I don't have time for such sort of gifts. I have to watch over the entire library. But I hope you find what you are looking for. And she leads you to this area of the library that looks like it's dusted and it's clean, but it doesn't look like anyone's been here in a long time. This is an area of the library that seems like 
it doesn't really have knowledge that people are very interested in. Um, this is an area that sort of focuses on, like, secrets and that sort of stuff. Um, ciphers, like I said, and puzzle boxes, that sort of thing. So, what do you want to do? Um, okay, can you tell me what the, what the note said again, real quick? The note said, Solving a problem. Let's go through the steps to figure it out. The journey to solve a problem begins with knowledge. Head to the place where one can find information on anything. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Jeez, I don't know. I'm, I'm in the cipher section already, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you want to I'll do? I'll start, like, looking around the, at the books there. See if... Wait, did you say, like, there was, like, green glass on the front? I don't know. A green yes, book? Yes, there's green <laughs> glass on the front. I don't know. Maybe there's a green glass book. A green glass <laughs> a door. A book made of glass? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so... Is it like, is it like the, what's behind the green glass door riddle? No, it's not like that. Um, you begin to look around, and you're looking for a book that is green, specifically just green. Um, and you find a few. Uh, roll me a, either perception, actually, you justify a roll to me for this one. Um, well, I mean, I guess I'm specifically looking for something. Mm -hmm. Um, looking for information for this book, so I would say investigation would probably be like the most accurate one. All right, yeah. Go ahead and roll me investigation. And I'm not just saying that because it's my highest, <laughs> my <laughs> highest skill. Good. I'm glad to hear that. It's a twelve. Okay, so you spend a while flipping through these books, these like the few green books that you found. Um, and it takes you a while. You're flipping through them, you're looking for stuff on codexes, puzzles, boxes, that sort of stuff, but you can't seem to find anything until you get to the fourth book. Going through that, you notice that the book is strangely... It sits strange when you put it on the table. And as you flip through it, you eventually find at the beginning of one of the chapters a small cylindrical piece of metal, and another note. This cylindrical piece of metal has strange bumps on it, and it has the number one on its side. Okay. Um, I'm going to see... Would that fit, like, one of the holes in the box? So, if you hold the box out in front of you, you begin testing it to see which side it'll fit in, and it actually fits to the left side okay. of the box. Not the back, but the left. Okay. Um, and then you take a look at the note. And the note says, Knowledge can bring more questions than answers, but use the things you've learned to solve all the problems you can. And then below that, in bolded text, it says, A greater fog... A greater fog? Yep. Roll me an intelligence check. Okay. Alright. Just just straight up intelligence? Yep, just straight up intelligence. <laughs> um, that would be an 11. So, Maybe this is not a difficult... <clears throat> this isn't a difficult check. Because where you found this 
note and this small cylinder, it was at the beginning of a chapter. And this chapter is entitled Anagrams. Ooh, okay. <laughs> oh, oh, this is gonna be Oh, I got I don't know I don't I don't know what Do you want me to explain what an anagram I'm hoping you know what an anagram I know, is. I know what an anagram is, Russ. I just like it's just when you like rearrange the letters to create like something new, like all the letters yes. in yes. the in the quote a greater frog frog. <laughs> oh greater frog. <laughs> in a greater fog. Move the letters around, you get something new. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, let's see. Alright, what words can I make out of this? Um a tree Ooh. <laughs> uh frog <laughs> Ag. <laughs> is that it? Yes, um, tree frog egg. <laughs> okay. Got okay. it. Got it in one. Um. Okay. Um. Can I roll like? I don't know. Roll for a hint. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just because so, I don't want to take forever, just rearranging the letters. Yes. Okay. So roll me a. Just intelligence check again. Okay. What what color what color should, what color die should I roll? White. The white die that you have. Okay. And you said intelligence. Yep, intelligence. Uh, that's better. That's a fourteen. All right. So you look over the cube, and you consider all the things that this cube seems to have, and the things that it's also missing you realize that one of the pieces that are missing is a gear. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So let's take the word gear out of a greater frog. Okay. So. Okay. Gear. Okay. So then after that, we have. Ater fog. (laughs) Interesting. Let's see what words can I make out of that. <laughs> after OG. Um, gear after go. Well, you know what? Go makes more sense than OG. <laughs> go after gear. After go. <laughs> go gear. Um. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wish I had, like, a more clear method of doing this. Okay. You can so roll for another G-E-A-R. hint if you'd like. Can I do that again? Yes, yeah. I can. G-E-A-R. So that's two gears right there. Gear, gear. <laughs> I was thinking maybe now, because now I have <laughs> gear off to gear. Like I said, gear you can roll for another hand if you'd like to. Gear, yeah, let's do that. Alright, another intelligence check. <laughs> okay, okay, we're getting there. That's 19. Okay, so, you know with that, that this has to be... You're missing a piece of this box, which is the gear, which is supposed to be on the bottom. This is most likely giving you a location. Um, I, 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 
I, I take the book and I flip to the middle of it. I don't know. Is there a gear in the middle of the book? Um, so, flipping through the book, you read more into this. You read more about puzzles. Anagrams are just a part of this. It was talking about types of puzzles. Oh, see, I wasn't, so, I wasn't caring too much about reading it, to be honest. I was just kind of like, shake out the book, see if there's a gear in there. <laughs> Whoops. Okay, so you shake the book to see if there's a gear in there. There is not. Oh. And there goes my hint. <laughs> well... I mean, I guess and now then you, dis- gives then you decide to read the book a little more. Um, <laughs> the anagram chapter was located at the very beginning, um, and you begin to flip further into the entire book, and you eventually reach chapters that talk about these sort of cipher scrolls and cipher boxes, that sort of stuff. And this one talks about how these are all made by very talented blacksmiths, and how they would need to forge them in the fires of their hearths and make sure that they were properly made um, in order for them to work. That each piece was made specifically to be a part of it. So would you like to try your anagram again? Okay, so I flipped through the book and I learned that blacksmiths make things? Make these, these sort of things. You also know that if anyone was to know more about this, it would be a blacksmith. Yeah, I mean, I figured, um, but I want to try this anagram one more time. Oh, 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 uh, no, um, that's not, uh, never mind. (laughs) What did you think it was? (laughs) I don't know, I thought it was, (laughs) never mind. Hmm. Okay. Gibbs frowns. Makes that noise I just made. Mm-hmm. Um, takes up the book and kind of like closes it shut. Uh, tries to pick up this book and the box. I'm not sure how big this book is. It's not humongous. It's not too big for you to carry. It is okay. big, for especially for your size, but like, <laughs> it's not too big for you to carry. Okay. Then they're going to run out to the other room and say, Miss Ethel? Miss Ethel? Miss Ethel? Yes, Gibbs. How can I help you? Can I take this book? Sure. Did you find what you were looking for? Not all of it. Here, um, do you, do you, do you think you can figure out this anagram for me? Ooh, a puzzle. I love a good puzzle. And she takes a piece of paper that you've sort of been scribbling on and looks at it and says, Hmm, so you have the word gear on here. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And from what I saw in the box, it looks like you're missing a piece, so... Mm-hmm. Let me roll an intelligence check, see if she figures it out. Okay, fair enough. Um, she spends like a minute or two looking over it, sort of crossing out the other letters that are there, and she eventually comes up with an answer and circles it, and she hands it to you. And the paper now says, Gear at Forge. At for Wait... Oh, there's the other G. Okay, all right. No, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. When I said, "Oh," like earlier, I was thinking, like in my head, it said I thought it was gonna say "Go to Forge," like that's mm-hmm. what I thought it was gonna say. But I was like, "Wait, I don't have Go down. I have Gear down." What am I thinking? <laughs> and then I like forgot there was another G, and so I wrote down Gear to 
like four. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> and so I would just, I just want the record to show, I basically solved it. <laughs> All right. Well, she hands that to you and says, "I hope that answered your question." Now, are you off or? <laughs> and gives his already like. Once he out the door. once once they get the paper back, they're out the door. They're like, "Yeah, thank you, bye." They shake. Uh, she shakes her head and just sort of goes back to her work. Aw, Miss Ethel loves kids. So, heading to the heart and hearth. Um, you know that this is a one of the forges that you frequent. Uh, this is the one that you normally go to the most. Because you know that Holland doesn't mind giving putting metal by the side door for you. Uh, normally when you get there, Holland's busy working. And you know mm-hmm. not to disturb him just because if you do, it'll sort of interrupt his process and you'll have to restart things. Um, but he normally leaves a basket of metal for you by the back door. <coughs> well, okay. Gibbs. Um... Well, first, it's going to check to see if Holland is in there, because if he is, they would like to say hi. Yes, Holland is working right now. Aww. Okay, then Gibbs is going to go over to the little secret metal stash and mm-hmm. search through it, specifically looking for a gear. Um, so, uh, just to clarify a little bit, the forge is actually two separate buildings. There's the storefront, and then there's the actual forge building. The mm-hmm. forge building is where Holland is working, and okay. that's where the metal is. Um, so you head there, and you sort of grab this basket of scrap metal that's by the door. Um, and as you're sifting through this little basket, you hear someone behind you. <clears throat> Perhaps you'd like to explain what you're doing with that scrap metal, young one? Uh, just kind of, like, looks up really quick, kind of looking a little guilty, and just, you know, turns to see who's talking to them. You see an older gnomish woman. She has gray hair and pale skin. She wears an apron and that's quite dirty, and she has these glasses on her eyes that... She's just sort of staring through right into your soul. She has these very piercing brown eyes. Um, And she has her arms crossed in front of her and she says, Would you like to let me know what you're doing in that scrap mill? You would recognize this as B, Holland's business partner, who is the one who started this forge. Okay. Um... Does B like know Gibbs well? Like, does she, she know like Gibbs' she, friendship with Holland? She knows about that. She still sometimes gives you like a hard time. Like she's not going to stop you. She's just more of having a conversation. She's sort of putting on the guise of like being annoyed. Okay, but like Gibbs knows that it's a guise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. Well, okay, so she just asked what uh, they're doing with the scrap metal. And uh, Gibbs is gonna uh, grab onto their box and, like, hold it up to show the bottom of it with the missing gear. And says, 
I got this secret box with some sort of um, mystery attached to it, and I'm trying to solve it. And there's 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 this gear missing. See right here in the middle. Um, and then and then I had this anagram that 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 said to come here. And so I think the missing gear is in the scrap metal. All right. Well, why don't you go ahead and take a look then? Okay. Uh, Gibbs is going to just take like the scrap metal and just like pour it onto the floor. <laughs> So you it. basically turn this thing upside down and pour it all onto the floor and there's the clanging of metal quite loudly <laughs> and bees just watching you. And as you sift through this area, you notice that there is no gear there. Hmm. Looks like there is no gear. Do you have a gear? Me. Little old me. Yeah. Something like a gear. Yeah. Well, why don't I check myself? And she sort of does this pat down of her pockets and everything. And reaches into one and goes, oh, maybe? Maybe that's it? Is it? Is it? Is it? And pulls out a gear. <gasps> along with a note. Um, um Gibbs is gonna, like, hop up and, like, go to grab it from her. Ah, say please. Please, can I have the gear? There you go. Thank you. Have a good day, Gibbs. Don't disturb Holland, though. He's working. I will, but tell him I stopped by, okay? And then I said hi. I will. Okay. Okay, bye. Oh, wait. And then they go and, like, grab their book and their box and... <laughs> then Do you they... take any of the scrap metal with you? Um, Gibbs definitely pauses and stares at it and considers it. But considering they're already holding this giant book and this box and this gear that they haven't put on the box yet, they'll come back. All right, so you basically head on out. Um, where are you going? Like, where is your goal? Um, I don't know. I'll find just some place outside that's kind of like co- cozy to sit down and just study the box right. a little bit. Just wanted to get out of the shop, so I didn't bother be. So you head to sort of this open square area in the town. This is the center of the town. There's a large open area where there's normally gatherings and there's a lot of benches and stuff set up. Um, Then you sort of hop on a bench or more or less climb onto a bench. I have to like stick the the book onto the ground. (laughs) Maybe the box too and then just like climb up. (laughs) And then reach down and grab it all. (laughs) Yeah. Um... And then, like, fail so to pick up the book. <laughs> on this area. Yes. Keep going. Uh, you sit down, and you take a look at the gear. Um, looking at the gear, and looking at the box in general, you can see that two of these gears, one that's on the box and the one that you just picked up, have a lot of letters on them. Um, one of them has the alphabet on it in like a normal order from a to z the other one has the alphabet on it the one that you picked up has the alphabet on it but it's a complete mess it is not in the correct order okay all right so so there's three gears two of them were already on the box one of them is the one gives just picked up right Mm -hmm. uh one of them that was on the box has the alphabet in order going around it Yes. The one that Gibbs just got from B has the alphabet, but not in order. Yes. Interesting. 
Um, do you want to put the gear back on the box at all? Or are you just sort of holding on to it? I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. Because Gibbs is studying it, and Gibbs is just going to, like, stick it on there. Not necessarily, like, any specific mm-hmm. way, just to get it to fit before um, reading the note that was with it. So you sort of spin this around trying to figure out how it's supposed to fit. And you notice that the third gear, the one that doesn't have any letters on it, doesn't move at all. So it's firmly stuck in place. So you start sort of spinning this other one to try and get it to fit. And you realize that there's only one position that it seems to fit in. And it fits in in a way that it aligns the letters together. And I will send you... When you look at it, you can see how these letters are aligned. So I'm going to send you right now the link to how they are aligned. So the top line is what the gear you picked up from B says. And the bottom line is what you got from what was already on the box. Okay. So what do you do? Okay, but but there's still a note that... Yes, there is still a note. I would like to read the Mm -hmm. note. Okay, so the note says, When you're working hard, don't forget to... And then the language becomes completely gibberish. Um, It says something along the lines of... (laughs) Repeat to me what it says again? No. Uh, but thank but you for us, asking. I didn't hear you. <laughs> yes. So there that is. All right. So when you're working hard, don't forget to get some good. Just is a ripperful. Yep. All right. Okay. Easy enough. So here's what I'm thinking. Since, you know, the listeners at home can't see how these random letters align with the alphabet. Um, I'm thinking... So like the first the first part of this gibberish part of the note is B S D V. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna look at where like the gear with the out of order uh, letters, where like the mm-hmm. B lines up with the normal order, or vice versa. Um, mm-hmm. So actually, I think I'm gonna look at the normal order alphabet, where like the B lines up with the G. The S lines up with E. The D lines up with the W. And the V lines... At least I think. it. I, maybe I should write this down again. B, okay, let me try this. Actually, let, let me write this down so I can make sure these are actually lining up with each other. Line up, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Reminder that you do have the book to help if you need it. Uh-huh. Okay. So then then we have V S D V S G K V S D. Okay, I think I think what I have to do is I have to find the letter on the out of order one and see which one it lines up to with an order one. Okay, I'm gonna do it like that. Um so the V lines okay. up with T, the S lines up with A, D lines up where is it with K? This is going to say take a break, isn't it? Let me just make sure. Um, v, yeah, E, S is A. Uh, the 
G lines up with B. Surprise! Uh, K R V E S A D K. Yeah, take a break. Um, and then we have the Ch Iserve Pifal. Alright, so C H I S R V P I F A L. And then the C lines up with G, the H lines up with O. Okay, is that an L or an I? That's an L, right? Yes, that's an L. Okay. Le serve. Okay. F is N? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can go have lunch. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Let me just. <laughs> Where the heck did I put the L? <laughs> I have to make sure. Okay, okay, yeah, there it is. That's what I thought. Take a break. Go have lunch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, it gives after um seeing this kind of huffs and says um. Miss Evie wrote this. And again, just <laughs> gathers gathers their things um, and uh, makes their way back to the orphanage. Alright. So, you head back to the orphanage. Um, and you can see that everyone's already getting ready for lunch. You're actually almost perfectly on time to start eating. Um, Miss Evie is helping serve people. There's a half-elf that you know as Ezra, who's also helping to serve everyone. And it's quite busy. Um, what do you want to do? Um, Gibbs is just kind of, like, they're just gonna go storm up to Evie, and then just, like, stand there, kind of pouting, waiting to get her attention. She looks down at you almost immediately and says, oh, Gibbs, uh, how was your adventure? You could have just told me you were the one who made all this. Made all of what? You wrote the note saying that I should go have lunch because you wanted to make sure I was here for lunch because you knew I didn't actually eat my breakfast. Gibbs, I've been here all day. How would I have had time to do anything? I haven't had anything to do with these notes. And Gibbs is just kind of, like, staring at her, like, trying to figure out mm-hmm. um, if she's lying. Do you want to roll an insight on her? I do want to roll an insight on her. Mm-hmm. Just because I want, I want to know if, get, if Gibbs knows. Okay. Insights. That is a 15. So, you... Actually, I'm going to roll a... Deception. For Evie, yes, I'm going to roll a deception. Normally I wouldn't, but for Evie, I'm going to roll one. <laughs> Is that 15 with all your modifiers? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you get the sense that she is telling you the truth and nothing but the truth. Hmm. She rolled a 16 with no modifiers. Give hmm. <laughs> no, us doing this out loud, just like staring mm-hmm. at her, just... She looks down at you and says, Gibbs, I... That box you have, it looks quite complex. I have no skill with 
metal. I have no way of making that sort of thing. Hmm. Fine. What's for lunch? Well, there is some good stew for everyone. And some fresh baked baked bread. Can I have some bread? Yes. (laughs) Alright, so you have some bread and you have your lunch. Um, while you're eating, uh, you roll me a perception check, actually. Okie dokie, artichokey. That is a 19. That is a 19, okay. Yes, sir. Um, one of the girls who you room with, a small blue-skilled dragonborn, her name is Rhea, 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 one or the other, um, she walks up to you and hands you a note and says, I was told to give this to you. But by who? By Ezra. Hmm. And thank you, Rhea. And she goes back to her seat and continues eating. Yeah, and then Gibbs... They were just handed a note, Oops. right? Like my mind, my mind just went blank. Like they were, I handed a note. They were just handed a note. Yes, okay, handed yeah, a then. note. And there's also a hold on. There's also one another one of those metal cylinders. This one has the number two on it. Okay, let's pop that bad boy in there. Uh, wherever it okay. fits. So that cylinder fits in the back of the box. Once again, it's also bumpy like the previous one was. Okay. While you're handling this one, give me just a straight intelligence check. Love me these intelligence checks. Uh, That's a 13. So, looking at this metal cylinder, it feels familiar, but you don't know why. Um. Yes, you can continue. Okay. Gibbs is going to read the note. So, the note says, With knowledge, some supplies, and a meal in tow, it's time for you to get up and go. Grab your tools and head, head someplace safe. Look over what you have. There's no time to waste. And I will send that in chat, too. Yay! Okay, so, what Gibbs is going to do... Gibbs is gonna kind of like stuff the rest of their bread in their mouth, so like their cheeks are all puffed up, mm-hmm. um, from like, like a giant chipmunk. shoving it all in there. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, again, they're going to pick up their stuff and they're gonna run upstairs to the bedrooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your bedroom's on the second floor. Yeah, they're gonna run upstairs to the bedroom. Uh, you know, kind of put down their stuff and crawl under the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and pick up their tools that they keep under there. Yeah, so you you go upstairs and you grab your tools. Um, you know that your tools are kind of makeshift. Uh, they're sort of bits and baubles that you've sort of harvested, not harvested, but claimed from your parents' work lab when mm-hmm. they first left. Um, these were things that they weren't taking with them, so you just sort of were like, all right, I'll take them, I'll use them. And mm-hmm. they've become these things that you've used for a long time. Um, I imagine they're not, like, 
the safest tools for a 10 year old to have like they're probably like a little rusty (laughs) no definitely not these are these are like the ones that they were like we won't need these because we have better ones these weren't (laughs) like essentials for them uh these were like backup 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 tools like (laughs) probably the last ones to be used probably some of them were even like ones they had lost and you had found and then like i'm gonna take this with (laughs) me yeah they were lost gibbs found them (laughs) (laughs) for the audio (laughs) listeners because this is an audio only podcast sam was just doing quotation marks you could hear the quotation marks in my voice like (laughs) (laughs) so you grab your tools and Um, so the notes had to head someplace safe where do you go there are like two places that I think Gibbs would go to right now. All right. Um, but I think like the first thing that popped into my head is the one I'm going to go with for now. Um, it's going to be uh, out in the woods mm-hmm. um, where Gibbs uh, sometimes meet up, meets up with a couple of their friends and they just chill out. They have like mm-hmm. like a little makeshift shack clubhouse thing there. I like to imagine... You know, just is it like a treehouse sort of thing, or is it like an actual shack? Like, what is it made it, it, of? It's it made like of it's like a treehouse thing, more like a lean to. Um, mm-hmm. Like they they're probably working on making making it actually like put together. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, it like a part of it is mostly just like they've taken like giant sticks and just lean them against each other to make kind of like a TP formation sort of thing while. Mm-hmm. Off to the side, you can kind of see some, right. like, bits of wood and dented and, like, bent nails and things of them trying to build, like, an actual treehouse. Um, so yeah, that was the first place that popped in mind. So Gibbs is gonna, uh, grab their things and go there and kind of, like, sit in the center of, like, this teepee sort of thing mm-hmm. and look over what they have. Alright, so you head to this place, um... You look over the things you have, you look over your tools, um, the book, the box, and the two cylinders that you've already put into the box, including the gear also. Um, And you sort of sit there and just look over all of this, sort of trying to figure out how these things work together. Um, Roll me another, roll me actually an investigation check this time. (laughs) <laughs> okay, that's that's ten. I would like All the right. note that I have plus five investigations, so Oh good. Oh good. So you look over your tools and everything and you just sort of stare at them for a while. You're sort of just going over them and you don't really know what to do here. The note just said uh head someplace safe and look over what you have. And so it takes a little longer than you think it might have if you had rolled higher. Except Gibbs doesn't know about rolling. <laughs> um, but it takes uh, it takes like an hour or so looking over all these things and getting really close. And it's one of the tools that you go up to. A screwdriver. This is something that you've had for a long time and it's kind of rusted over. And as you're looking at it, you realize... There's something inside the screwdriver. Okay, I know this is like like a kind of like a, a revelation, like an answer mm-hmm. to it, but the only thing I'm thinking of 
is Tommy Pickles from the Rugrats with oh with his gosh. toy screwdriver, like fixing oh everything. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's Gibbs. Great. Just give them a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so something in the screwdriver, I'm guessing in like the little handle bit. Um mm-hmm. Gibbs is gonna try to open it what do you mean when you say it's like inside the screwdriver it's inside the handle bit um you've never really noticed that there was really anything inside of it just because the bottom of this thing has been like rusted over so you never (laughs) really thought like oh yeah i can open this this would be easy to open okay um so you've never really tried that well now gibbs is gonna try it yeah so you try it and you twist open the bottom of this screwdriver and out falls a little cylinder with the number three on it. And that's why the other one felt familiar, right? Right? Maybe? No. no. Roll me another intelligence check. Oh, shoot. Alright. Alright, which one happened? I haven't tried purple yet. Purple has been treating me well in the past. Oh, you said it was just intelligence? Mm-hmm. 16? 16. Okay, that was what you needed. Hey, what? Looking as the cylinder slides out, you suddenly realize why it looks so familiar. You have an item with you. An item that uses a cylinder like this, except it's much larger cylinder that it uses. Because the item that you have that has a cylinder is a music box. Yeah, okay, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Alright, okay. Um, so... so Go ahead. I was going to say the cylinder that came out of the screwdriver. Is it like an actual like music box cylinder? Like, Are there like the little bumps on it? Yeah. I said that they were bumpy, so there are little bumps all over it. Okay, wait. And the other things that had been put in the box? They all have the same bumps. They're Not all in the like, same places, but they all had bumps. But like they're all like actual like cylinders. Mm-hmm. They're all little cylinders with bumps on them. Oh, the mecha music box. Okay. Um interesting mm-hmm. okay so like to be honest i know you kept saying cylinders but for some reason in my mind i wasn't imagining cylinders i was imagining like little oval things and oh good oh good <laughs> um, i've been so... saying cylinders the entire time i know so basically i don't know like shapes when... yeah when do you start learning about like 3d shapes first grade Pretty young. Pretty young. I Apparently, like. I should go back to kindergarten. <laughs> um, you should go join Gibbs in school. Gibbs would be smarter than me. <laughs> Alright. Okay. So. so, back to the mecha music box. Uh, Gibbs is going to stick that bad boy in the, in the last spot okay. in the box. It clicks into place. Okay. Can I move the gears at the bottom? They're still stuck in place. You do know that there was also a note that fell out. Okay. You guys will look at the note, I guess. Okay. So the note says, If after doing so much, you still find yourself without a solution, perhaps it's time to put down the problem. A good night's rest might help. Evie really did make this. Oof. Um, 
And yeah, about what time is it right now? So, because you rolled so low on your investigation check, um, <laughs> it is about early evening. It's been probably a few hours that you've just been going over all the things you've had. You've even read, like, a lot of the book trying to search for a solution. Um, so it is early evening now. Okay. Um... Gibbs is, like, kind of in a bad mood right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they were really excited to, like, figure this thing out right away. They thought they sur- solved it, and now it's like, eh, it's like, you gotta wait. Um, and so, yeah. Um, I guess if it's around dinner time, uh, Gibbs would go eat dinner. Mm-hmm. Um... And then, like, kind of, like, continue through their day like they normally do. They, uh, you know, go eat dinner. This time they're a little grumpy. They're not really, like, talking to anybody. Um, Mm -hmm. They finish that. They, like, go off, uh, you know, towards the lighthouse. um, Wait there for a little bit. Um, And, uh, like always, they bring, like, their, their, the music box that they already have, the smaller one. Um, and listen to that, but listening to it, they get, like, super frustrated that they have, like, the other box with them, and they just kind of, like, like, kick it a little. Um, but yeah, uh, but eventually they, uh, gather up their things and actually go to bed. Alright, so you do all that. You head back, have dinner, um, Evie doesn't really say anything to you. She can see that you're in a bad mood and just sort of lets you be. (laughs) Um, After dinner, you head down to the lighthouse, um, which sits at the very... Like, it sits a little off the coastline of Ragan. You can see that everywhere where the water is, the ocean in front of you, it's raining. Um, And that this, this single lighthouse is sort of in... It's on an area of land where there is no rain, sort of an island within the sea. Um, there's no light in the lighthouse. There's nothing turned on because you know that this place is a beacon. It's supposed to be a beacon of the return of the people on the Narrow Seas mission. It's been over a year. And so you sit down and you listen to the music box and you get frustrated and you wait. Then you eventually get up and go back home. And you head to bed. Waking up in the morning, you don't wake up to the sound of Evie. You just sort of wake up on your own. Um, after the previous night and how stressed you were, you just sort of sit up, knowing that it's a new day. You might be able to figure something new out. Gives us in significantly better mood. Mm-hmm. So, what do you want to do? Um, Gibbs is going to get up, climb under the bed, mm-hmm. uh, again, where they keep all of their things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while they're just kind of, like, laying on their stomach, like, looking through their stuff, they're going to uh, pull out the box. Um, and they're going to mess with it a little bit. They're going to try to, like, open it. They're going to try to, like, twist the gears at the bottom. So, you pick up the box, and the second your hands touch it, you notice that there's something different about the box. 
this small piece of green glass that was embedded into the front of this box now has a slight pulsing light coming from it. It's not bright and it's not like it's pulsing very quickly. It's just very slowly getting brighter, then fading, then brighter, then fading. Wait, the glass is doing that? Yeah, the glasses seems to be glowing slightly, then the light fades, and then it glows more, and then it fades. Gibbs is gonna, like, stick their hand, like, right on the glass. The hand? Like, your entire hand? Well, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. You said the whole box was, like, like two of Gibbs's Fists. Fists, yeah. right. Um, the actual piece of glass is much smaller than your entire hand. Okay, well, Gibbs is gonna touch it just to be like, what the heck? Alright, so you push your thumb against this piece of glass, and as you do, you notice as this glowing light stops, and instead a light green line starts at the top of this piece of glass and moves downwards, and then moves back up. And you can suddenly (laughs) feel a connection with this box. There are two things you can do with this. You can listen, or you can open. So... Kids is gonna... Listen. Like, like they figured it was a music box. They want to listen to it like a music box. So, you decide to listen. Um, so you press your thumb against it and you feel the idea of you can either open this or listen and you choose to listen and you begin to hear something hello gibbs hi ghibli how are you i hope you liked our little scavenger hunt it's been a few years since we planned for this i hope everything got there on time Ghibli, this set of Tinker's tools may took a few months to make, but they're professional, just like ours. May they be use to you, my dear child. We miss you, kiddo. I love you, Gibbs. I love you, Ghibli. Happy ninth birthday. Happy ninth birthday. And you recognize those voices as your parents. Rowan and Elliot. Aww. <laughs> so Gibbs opens the box very quickly. Question, how does Gibbs respond to that message? I know you open the box, but before that, during the message and when you hear it, how do you respond? Um. If you don't drop your stuff. Um... I don't know, I think they, they mostly just, they get, uh, really excited. Um, I don't know, they're kind of, like, just smiling, and they're kind of, like, mm-hmm. I mean, they're under their bed, so they can't really, like, hop with excitement like I am right now. Um, mm-hmm. but sort of something similar to that. Um, yeah. Alright. So, after doing that, you then choose to open this box and you watch as it goes through these movements 
the plate, this sort of engraved G that is in the top of the box, descends into it, creating a G-shaped hole. The top of the box then splits in half, with the line going straight through where the G should be. The two halves pop up and across. And then the next layer down pops up and across. And then up and across. And then each of these parts flip. So you now have a four-tiered Tinkerer's Kit in front of you. And at the very center, where all of this box connects, there is a large G standing for Gibbs. This Tinkerer's Kit is beautiful. It is masterfully made. It is made specifically for you. You can see that all these tools have adjustments on them so that as you grow, you can still use these tools yourself. Man, my parents are so smart. Um, and that is your gift for your ninth birthday from your parents. And I think that's the scene we end with. With you laying under your bed, staring at this four-tiered tinkerer's kit. Looking over these tools that you will use to build. Oh, Gibbs immediately starts using them. Like, like all of their robot scraps are right there. Like, they're getting to work. Yeah, so I think that's where we cut it. Right there with you working immediately. Diving right into it. Hi everyone, this is Russ. I'm sitting here with Kyle, who is one of our cast members. Um, We're about to record a backstory episode. So, Kyle, where do you fall in the LGBTQ plus spectrum? I am a cisgendered man, and I am gay. Okay. The G. The big G. (laughs) The big G. And so, what is your experience with D&D or just role-playing games in general? I have been playing D&D for about two, three years now. Um, And I listen to a couple podcasts and stuff like that. And, yeah. (laughs) Not much to it. (laughs) And so, who are you playing and what class are they? I am playing Holland Rourke. He is an Asimar cleric of the Forge Domain. Alright, and could you describe what they look like? So Holland is about average height for a guy. He's about 5'10"-ish. He's kind of on the pale side, skin tone-wise. He has reddish-brown hair, and he has a nice, like, thinner beard. Um... He wears, like, basic leather trousers, boots. Um, He has, like, the white uh, flowy shirt with, like, a leather tunic that goes up to his neck with, like, a high collar. Um, And he has, like, a little earring that has, like, a little tiny flame on it. And it's not because he's flaming at all. (laughs) All right, good. Um... So I guess we'll start the session then. Uh, Holland, this episode is going to take place about six months before the current campaign starts. It's midsummer. It's pretty hot outside. It's very warm and 
lush and we're gone. Uh, summers here are very humid. Um, you can f- you can always feel the rain from off the coast, but here it's very sunny. Um, so your home is the typical home that's given to three-person families in Ragan. There are three bedrooms, two on the top floor and one on the downstairs. The houses are modest and came furnished, but without any decorations. Over the past year and a half, this your house has become a home. Flora has worked her best to make this place an actual home for all of you. There's a lot of natural decorations of flowers and house plants. There's a vegetable garden out back that she's been taking care of growing for the past year. In the summer, the harvest has been quite good and good, and there's been a lot of vegetables that she has managed to pull from the earth. In the front, she has planted many flowers that give the house a very bright feel. You have your own home, your own room on the second floor, which has your own personal touches, but everywhere else, it's very clear that floor is in charge of this entire place. Um, so you wake up, and it's early morning. Uh, this is just your typical day of doing your daily activities. And I'm assuming you get ready for your day and head downstairs. Yes, I would go downstairs and begin cooking breakfast for Quinn before she goes off. Are there any like sort of daily activities you do in the morning, like rituals you do when you get up? No, I would, I would go down and begin preparing... Quinn's breakfast and spend time with them in the morning before heading to the temple. That's where I would begin doing some some religious ceremonies. The All morning right. is for the home. Alright, so you head downstairs and you start making breakfast and about ten or so minutes later you can hear stirring from upstairs. Most likely it's Floor waking up and getting Quinn already and everything. And after a little bit she comes downstairs She's dressed in her little school uniform, and she has her hair pulled into pigtails, and she rushes right into the kitchen and sits down at the table, waiting for her food, very patiently. I wonder what you want this morning. Well, what did you make? Hmm. What do you think I made? Eggs. Mmm... <laughs> She sniffs the air. Sausage. And something else. I don't know what it is, though. You were right about eggs. Little off on the sausage. It's actually bacon. And I made some potatoes. (gasps) My favorite. (laughs) Um, And she smiles, looking very pleased with herself. Uh, You can say when you do tell her that it isn't. Sausage, she seems a bit upset, but as soon as you say it's a potato, she's very happy. Um, So I'm guessing you give her your the food, and a few minutes later, Flora comes downstairs. Flora is an elven woman with dirty blonde hair that's pulled into a long braid that flows down her back. She wears this plain yellow tunic and blue trousers with a small fabric belt around, wrapped around her. She has blue eyes that are quite kind, but very observant. You know that Flora is very superstitious and is known to burn sage and other herbs around the house, and she always has a sprig of rosemary tucked into her belt, but she's quite the happy person. She comes down, gives you a smile, grabs a plate, fills it with food, and looks at Quinn and says, Quinn, darling, did you tell Uncle Holland about the performance tonight? 
And Quinn yep. shakes her head with a mouthful of food. And Floor looks at her and says, Okay, you keep eating. Uh, Holland, Quinn has a performance tonight in the center of town. It's for the dance studio. A performance? Is this why you're wearing pigtails today? I thought it looked special. Maybe. As she's just shoving food down her throat. Are you going to dance with your ribbons? Of course, Uncle Holland. What else would be? What else would I be dancing with? Are you going to twirl in the air for me? She looks at you and nods very happily. Floor sort of looks at her and rubs her head, uh, like ruffles Quinn's hair, and then says, Oh, I almost forgot, and gets up from her chair and runs upstairs. And when she comes back downstairs, she has a little pouch, too, actually. You know that at the beginning of every week, uh, Floor makes these what she calls lucky charms, that she gives one to you and one to Quinn to basically keep on yourselves at all times. They come with a little string. You can decide where you put it and everything, but this is just something that she sort of makes every week. I'd put it around my neck and like tuck it underneath the tunic. Mm-hmm. You can see that uh, Quinn tosses it, uh, ties it around her wrist and leaves it there. And Flora looks at you both and says, I have to make sure that you both have your lucky charms for the week. All right, so Quinn, you have to get to school, otherwise you're going to be late. And Holland, you're heading to the temple, I assume? Yes, but let me clean up first. I don't want to leave a mess behind for you. Alright, I'm going to walk Quinn to school, and then I'll be right back. Alright, I'll see you later. Goodbye. Quinn looks and goes, Bye, Uncle Holland! Goodbye, my little dancer. And runs out the door. Um, So you spend a little while cleaning up after yourself and after everything that's going on here. And then you head to the temple, right? Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so the temple is a white marble building. The stone has dark lines of imperfection running around it that actually add to the beauty of the place. There are no stairs that lead up to it, but at the very front there are two enormous doors made of a dark wood that are covered with intricate woodwork. The woodwork depicts the symbol of the Pantheon, a four-pointed star, but also has many extra embellishments in the actual wood. The doors are wide open, and walking into the building, you can see that the main area that you enter is the worship center. There are four areas dedicated to the gods of creation. Fire, water, earth, and air. There are also six alcoves spread around the room where the secondary gods are honored. At the very far side of the temple, there's a large statue of a ten-armed humanoid. The statue does not have a face, but rather a four-pointed star where the face should be. Eight of the statue's arms are positioned around the creature's center, open palms facing upwards. The middle two arms are folded in the center, folded in front of the statue. You know the statue is of the deity of all things, the god that is also known as the Pantheon. The entire worship area smells of meat and other things that are being sacrificed to the gods. You can see that there are people kneeling on soft mats in front of the areas dedicated to the different gods. The area of worship actually only makes up about one-third of the entire temple, and on the other side of this large statue there are doors that lead to private quarters, healing areas, and a training area, and many other places within the temple. The main outer walls of the temple are marble, and the worship area is also made of that marble. 
but the areas behind are made of that stone and wood. It's clear that the most expensive areas of the temple are the ones that are dedicated to the gods and are frequented by the public. So getting to the temple, what do you do first? There would be a place for, like, to wash your hands in the first in the beginning, right? Yes, there'd be an area to sort of cleanse yourself. Yeah, so I'd first walk in and just cleanse my hands. And then I would go over to the altar and light a candle real quick and just place it on there. I would do this, like, every morning. I'm assuming you're going to the altar of Forge? Yes. Okay, so you head over to the altar of Forge and you light a candle in front of it. Um, do you ever sacrifice anything to Forge, or do you just sort of light something? Light no, I, w- candle? I wouldn't sacrifice anything. I would light the candle using um, my own personal magic. Mm-hmm. That way it's connected from me to them. All right. Okay. So you light this candle, and you sort of stay there for a moment or two. You just sort of light the candle. You don't pray or anything, right? No, it's just the light of the candle. Yeah, your relationship with Forge isn't that formal. Yeah, we're kind of like bros. <laughs> Sup, bro? Here's a candle I made with your own light. Okay, peace. Thanks, thanks for that. Giving back to the community here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you light your candle, and then you head out. Um, I'm assuming you're going to the medical wing. Mm-hmm. So you go through the doors that are behind this large statue to the Pantheon. And you head over to the medical wing, and the second you get, you start walking towards it, you see Nathaniel. Nathaniel is a disciple of water. He has black hair and very pale skin. He has brown eyes, and his lips are pinched together in annoyance. He's very <laughs> tall, and he wears the he wears priestly robes with a symbol of water on its chest. He looks at you and says. Holland, thank the gods you're here. I need help with a new patient of ours. What is wrong with this patient, Nathaniel? It's a it's a an older person named Ren. They they're suffering from memory loss and they just refuse to sit still when I'm trying to treat them and it's it's just a mess. I need you to at least distract them so I can give them some treatment. They're very sick, but they won't listen. All right, Nathaniel, calm down. Where are they? (sighs) Follow me. And Nathaniel sort of begins leading you through the hall towards the medical ward. Um, The medical area, you know, is just sort of a lot of different rooms all centered in the same wing. Uh, You know that most people have private rooms just because in case something's contagious, they don't want it to spread and that sort of thing. And he leads you to a room where there is a older furbolg sitting in a chair. Um, you know that furbolgs are these strange-looking creatures. They're humanoid, but they have these large, almost bat-like ears. Um, and they have completely blue skin. Um, and this furbolg is sitting in a chair. Uh, they seem to just sort of be very out of it. But the second you will enter the room... They sort of look at you both and just seem very confused. Um, I would pull up a chair facing them mm-hmm. and just try to like lean down and like to their level. It's like, Ren, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Who are you? My name is Holland. I'm just here to talk with you 
and see how you're feeling today. Nice to meet you, Holland. It's nice to meet you, too. And as soon as you start talking, you see that purse, like, sighs and immediately gets, like, a bowl of water to start the treatment. (laughs) Holland would ignore him. Mm -hmm. So, Ren, do you know why you're here today? I'm not feeling great. I was sent here for... I don't know. I'm just not feeling good. Okay. We're here to make you feel better. Do you know who sent you here? My granddaughter. Oh. What's your granddaughter's name? They pause. I... Not... I... Don't... Know. That's alright. Do you have any family you do know their names? Mari. Who's Mari? Where's Mari? Is Mari... Another granddaughter? She's my daughter. Oh. She likes my little figurines I make. And they begin, like, reaching into their pocket and their tunic. Um... And they pull out a small owl carving made of wood. Now what is this? It's an owl. It's one that I carved. This is quite beautiful. How did you learn such a skill, Ren? Time. Patience. (laughs) A lot of cuts. (laughs) You must have been doing this for quite some time. I do. I still have scars to prove it. And they hold out their hands, and you can see that they definitely have a workman's hands. Just calloused and rough. Ren sort of sits there and begins to zone out again. And then looks back at you and says, Holland, right? Yes. You keep that owl. A gift. Oh, thank you, Ren. I must show you that... My hands are also a bit cut up and calloused, but not quite as badly as you are. Oh, what do you do? I am a blacksmith. I work at the forge. Oh, that's nice. But I think I have quite a few years before I can meet your level of craftsmanship. This owl (laughs) is beautiful. Ren laughs, and I actually think that's where we cut that scene. I think okay. that you keep Ren entertained for the rest of the treatment and Nathaniel gets through the treatment and sort of gives you a nod that you're good to go. But I think you stay there for a little longer, sort of talking with him. Mm-hmm. And then you're ready to go and you head to the forge. Is there anything special you want to do before you head there? When I exit the temple, I -hmm. think I would take a minute and just look over the owl figurine. All right. Um, So looking over the owl figurine, you can see that this is clearly, it's not a, it's not a hunting owl. It's not like a big, like imposing owl. It's very much just this beautiful figurine that is made to look like a barn owl. Um, it's very well made, it's exquisite, but looking at it, you can tell that this was actually done pretty recently. 
it doesn't look like it was an old figure that he just held on to. <laughs> this looks like a more recent work of his, of theirs. I would just tuck it away. Would it, would there be room for, like in the good luck place? Uh, thing no, that... there's not room inside the good luck charm. Okay, so I just tuck it away in my pocket. Um, so make sure you add that to your character sheet. Yep, I'll do that. Okay, afterwards. That's fine. Um, so you head to the forge. The heart and hearth. Yes, the heart and hearth. So the heart and hearth is actually one of the few forges within Orgon. There are so many people within the town and there's a large need for worked metal within here. You know, B started the forge on her own, but eventually started asking around for assistance to keep up with the demand of the town. That's when you decided to apply. Your process of joining her forge was quite quick, and now you've come to be accustomed with this place. The Heart and Hearth is actually two separate buildings. There's the shop front, which is a normal wooden house that is just one floor. B is the only member of her family in Ragon, so she is quite the small place. You know, half the house is split into the actual shop, and the other half is actually B's home. The shop front is quite plain, but there are many pieces of weaponry and everyday supplies such as nails, axes, pickaxes, horseshoes, arrows, and all sorts of merchandise that are neatly arranged. You've never been to the back half of the shop, so you don't really know what's back there. The forge is a building behind the Heart and Hearth storefront. It's made of wood, but the floor is completely stone. There are tools scattered everywhere, and it looks very busy, and you can hear that bee is pounding away at something on the anvil before you get there. So I would just walk in and, like, put on my my work apron, nod to bee, I wouldn't really say anything to her, and just look over and see what she's working on. Um, you can see that she's working on some nails, which is pretty common around here mm -hmm. um you know that you guys don't normally get any big sort of orders for like weaponry and that sort of stuff it's more like stuff that people need every day so like mm -hmm. axe heads horseshoes nails that sort of stuff like common supplies and so she sort of is working on this looks up sees you and then finishes the nail she's working on and then immediately just walks out <laughs> doesn't even say a word all right. Um, you can see that there's a list of stuff written up of things that you need to make for the day that you sort of need to follow. But she okay. just sort of leaves to go open the storefront. Typical. Mm -hmm. Typical. This is pretty um, normal for you, too. Before I'd start working on something, I'd look around the shop for any kind of metal scraps. And I'd collect those in a basket and set those aside next to the back door. All right. So you grab a bunch of the metal scraps and sort of like pieces that have been shaved off of the nails and stuff. Toss them into like a small wicker basket and put it move move it to where the back door is to the forge. Mm -hmm. Put those aside for a friend. All right, so you put those aside for a friend, and so and I guess you start going to work. Yeah, gotta um, make a living. Yeah, you gotta gotta pay for the reason that you're still here. Um, <laughs> so you start working. Uh, you do. Horseshoes, nails, axes, basically everything that we discuss. Mm -hmm. um, every time you finish a piece, B sort of shows up at some point when you started the next one, looks at the one you just made, and then brings it to the shop. 
Uh, she'll normally tell you whether it's good, whether it's bad, that sort of thing. Um, and then she sort of heads out. She doesn't really, she's not really one for conversation. She's very much a business forward sort of woman. There is a point where she just sort of walks in. B walks in after you finished an axe head and she just sort of watches you working. She doesn't say anything though, she just watches. Is something wrong, B? Uh, I don't think I actually ever described what B looks like, so I feel like I should do that before we have her respond. Okay. Alright. So, B is an older gnomish woman with gray hair. She wears her apron and it's covered in stains from things that she's worked on. She also has these glasses on her face and though she doesn't speak much, you know that she can say a lot with just a move of her glasses and a raised eyebrow. She sort of looks at you as you say this and says, No, just wondering what you're working on. The axe looks like. Yes, just refilling our axe supply. Holland, why are you still here? What do you mean? You were taught dwarven metal making. You could do much more than just working in a plain forge. I like it here. I like working with you. She sort of takes that and listens to that for a moment and pauses, sort of mulling over what you've said. Are you sure you really like it here? You don't just think it's safe? I think I'd like it because it's safe. Hmm. Safety isn't always something you can count on, Holland. Do you not want me to be here anymore? No, I want you here. I think you do good work. But I feel like you're holding yourself back sometimes. Anyways, got to get going. Don't finish. Better finish your work. And she just leaves. How do you feel after that conversation? Like, how does Holland respond to that? I imagine that he wasn't paying attention to what he was doing while talking to her. Mm -hmm. And whatever he was working on, like, it cooled down to a point and it's like, he hit it with the hammer and like it broke in half. Mm -hmm. So as soon as she left and he realized what he did, he took the two pieces of this horseshoe that he was working on, Axe put it back. Head. To... Oh, axe head! Oh, shoot, <laughs> shoot, shoot, shoot! It was totally an axe head. I knew that the entire time. <laughs> this axe head he was working on, and he just looks at it, and without even like breaking face he just removes this the the glove he was using on his hand to protect it and just like watches as like five orange beams of light form a cone and just he just touches it to the axe head and begins repairing it without any effort he just cast mending just no skill involved just mm. Yeah. Fix a mistake. Alright. Um, and I think you sort of, after that, you just sort of continue working. You just sort of go through the process of what you have to do without yep. really focusing on anything. And eventually, 
B does come back and let you know that it's closing time. She's closing up the shop and everything, so you're free to go. Um, she doesn't say much besides that. I would just wordlessly walk out. Alright, so you walk out. Um, it is around the time for you to get heading, heading, for you to head to Quinn's recital. So, you head to the main square of the town, where there's a small stage set up. You can see that there are fabric curtains hanging down around the stage, and there are areas around where you can sit and watch the performance. There are a few musicians who seem to be setting up, and most of them seem to be kids. Probably around 15 to 17 years old. But at the very front of them, sort of leading them all, is a human bard who looks like they're probably 25 or so. Um, There's also a woman in a purple dress at the very front who is nodding at everyone in the crowd. Uh, You recognize this as Quinn's dance teacher. Um, The second you get there, Floor is already by your side. (laughs) As if she, like, knew you would be there. Right then. Are there seats available up front? There are. Um, Would you like to start walking that way? Oh, yes push my way through get those front front. row seats waving at quinn floor follows you and sort of whispers to you oh of course you want to sit up front you know i hate sitting up there well we need to see we need to be able to see her well enough and she can see us from there it works both ways yes but her teacher just uh what about her she's a nice lady she talks so much it's the worst. I and feel the like... second that she says that, Quinn's dance teacher approaches you. <laughs> um, you know her as Miss Higgins. Um, Miss Higgins is a female human in her 50s. Uh, she has this big smile. Um, and the way that she approaches you, she sort of saunters over to you, I guess would be the appropriate term. She very much, like, is overdramatic about it all. And she approaches you both and says, Ah, the Rorks! It's so good to see you both. It's a pleasure to see you as well, Miss Higgins. How are you today? Oh, I'm wonderful, wonderful. There's going to be an amazing performance tonight. I know Quinn's in this performance, and she's just so excellent. I can't wait for you to see her perform. I'm waiting with bated breath. All right, Floor, it's good to see you. And Floor just gives a slight nod, but doesn't say anything. I'll just, then like, looks... <laughs> I'll just like bump into her. <laughs> it's good to see you too, Miss Higgins. Um, thank you. And Miss Higgins just glosses over that response and looks at you. So, Holland, how's the forge doing? doing just as well as it does every day we don't do anything really exciting oh nonsense nonsense the forge is very exciting a strong man working in such conditions (laughs) (laughs) oh miss higgins (laughs) uh well Thank you, Miss Higgins. Um, I'm sure 
if you would like to come by one day, I could show you just how exciting it be- can be. She, like, gives you these eyes that are just, like, staring into your soul and goes, Oh, I'm sure it's very exciting. Now, I must be off. There are other people to greet, other people to see. And then she just walks off. I turn the floor. I'm like, you know what? I think you're right. We should sit in the back today. Uh, thank you. Thank you. That woman is very abrasive. She's insane. Um, so you guys move away from the front row where Miss Higgins is sitting and go a little further back. Still close enough to see the stage and see Quinn, but far enough away that you probably won't be disrupted by her again. Um, and so as you're sitting there, the performance begins. Um, you can see that Quinn is out there in a blue dress and she has these blue ribbons that are on sticks. There are a lot of kids on the stage that all seem to be making up a rainbow of color. They all dance around the stage and it's very, very clear which ones care about this performance and which ones don't. Uh, Quinn is one of the ones who clearly does care. She's very much dancing as well as she can. She's trolling her ribbons around and spinning and jumping right when she needs to. And you can see that Miss Higgins is on the very edge of her seat watching this entire performance. Um, and it's, it's a good time. It's, it's a nice night. It's a nice summer night in which you all sort of watch this performance. And as it ends, uh, Quinn sort of says goodbye to the rest of her class. I'm not sure what term I would use for this. Group? Dance crew? Class? Posse? Um, her squad. <laughs> she says bye to everyone else and sort of heads over to you and Flora to say hi. And as she does, you do notice that there are two other people also approaching. Um, although they seem to be moving much slower. You see Aster and Genevieve. When Quinn gets closer, I would probably immediately just pick her up and hold her. And just... Just like whisper in her ear, like like with her head turned away from Aster and Genevieve. Congratulations, I'm so proud of you. Thanks, Uncle Holland. You saw me, right? You saw me do that jump? I did. It was beautiful. Awesome. I'm glad you saw it. So you're coming to the next performance too, right? I wouldn't miss it for the world. Yay! And Flora sort of once again ruffles her hair and then picks her up from your arms and sort of looks at Aster and Genevieve and then looks back at you and gives you a nod of like if you need to go you can go this entire time I like had like my eyes locked on them mm-hmm. um Aster and Genevieve aren't actually looking at you um Aster and Genevieve are actually approaching towards Quinn um you know that Floor while understanding your sort of hesitance around them also knows that Quinn is their granddaughter Mm -hmm. um, and that they should still be close. Um, They do babysit Quinn sometimes, and so she does invite them to these sort of events and stuff. 
but she understands that you have a personal sort of issue with the situation. And so she gives you a nod being like, if you need to go, I understand. And Quinn understands too. Okay. So when Fleur takes Quinn from my arms, I would just mm-hmm. kind of nod in the direction of Aster and Genevieve mm-hmm. and just back up without turning around. Mm-hmm. And as soon as like they started talking to each other and Quinn didn't see, wasn't paying attention to me, then I would walk away. All right. So you walk away and you enter the rest of town. And as you're walking through, roll me a perception check. Shoot. That's a six. Ooh. Okay. All right. Um, I don't see diddly squat. So, as you're sort of walking, you're not really paying attention to your surroundings. And you walk down into an alleyway. Sort of walking without really knowing where you're going. And you walk into a situation that I don't think you were prepared for. In this alleyway, you can see that there are three men surrounding a young woman. The woman is a tiefling with short horns over her head. And the three men all seem to be of the elder races. One of them is a human, one of them is an elf, and the other is a halfling. You would know that these three men are Hasharian. What is going on here? The human turns towards you. I don't think that's any of your business, folk. Now, why don't you get on out of here? Holland ignores the man talking to him and just looks at the woman on the ground. He's like, are you okay, ma'am? I'm... I'm okay. Uh... I just don't want to be here right now. Would you like me to walk you home? Uh... Yes. Um... And you can see that these three men seem a little taken aback by, first off, the fact that you've interrupted them, and second, the fact that you're ignoring them. Um, And they both sort of, they all three of them look at each other and just sort of glare at you. And when the woman gets up, none of them move to stop her or anything, but they definitely are just staring you down. And the human looks at you and says, Don't worry, kiddo. We'll see you soon. I look at him, dead in the eyes. And just, like, lower one half of the collar and just, like, flash the gold birthmark and say, I'll see you too. And just turn around and walk away with her. As you're walking away, you can hear that all three of them are whispering to each other. Um, roll me another perception check. That's a five. <laughs> okay. I'm in uh, a state, apparently. You walk away. Um, so, as you are walking this tiefling home, she introduces herself as Marcella. Are you okay, Marcella? Uh, Did they hurt I mean, you? They didn't hurt me, but... Uh, 
I feel they said that they would, and I wasn't feeling safe. Thank you, um, Holland, right? Yes. Alright, well, thank you for walking me home, I appreciate that. I'm I'm sorry this happened to you. She gives you a smile and then sort of a nod and heads into her house. So, Holland, after these two experiences, one right after another, how are you feeling? Um, not necessarily angry or upset or anything, just uncomfortable would be a word for it. The fact that he saw Aster and Genevieve today on a day he expected to be pretty uh, enjoyable for Quinn um, kind of made, turned his night sour and then the interaction with the three men in the alley was just icing on the cake so I think he would he would go back to the heart and hearth right. and he would just let himself in and fire up the forge and in front of the forge he would just kneel down and just close his eyes and start thinking to himself and just focus on his breathing for a little bit all right so you do that you head to the forge and you know that after the third time of waking up B in order to get into the forge that she just gave you a key. Mm -hmm. And so you have a key that you let yourself into the forge and you get in front of the forge, start heating up and start thinking. What do you do from there? I think I would go to start working on like the mundane tasks, like working on some nails or something like that. But I would see the flames of the forge, like, reflect off of something in a corner and go and see what it was. So, going to see the corner, what's there, you find an old project you had been working on. This wasn't something that was commissioned, and subsequently it was something that you put away to focus on other orders, but it's the beginnings of a blade of some sort that you've been trying to figure out. You can see it in your mind. In fact, you've held it in your mind before. You know how it's supposed to feel. You know how it's supposed to look, but you just haven't made it yet. And so you see these startings i guess of a blade i would take this blade and bring it over to the forge and looking it over i can see what this means to me in a way that this is like this is what b was talking about that I can do something. So I would put it back into the flames and heat it back up. And then start trying to 
form it into what it's meant to be, which I can picture as like the most beautiful blade that he's ever made. So you begin working on this sword and you use the dwarven technique that Ulrich taught you long ago and you follow that. You know that with the work that you've already done on this, it's going to take all night. But you push past it, sort of using your how you feel about the day to force you to finish this item. And then you wake up. You wake up to the feeling of someone shaking you. Holland, wake up. You fell asleep in the fortage again. I'm so sorry, B. I know you don't like it when I come here late at night. I needed to work on something. She... You can hear her moving around the room. And she picks something up. As you're sort of rubbing the sleepiness away. And she places a blade in front of you. It's wide. It looks almost like a leaf, and she looks at you and says, This is good work. You did good on this one. Thank you. She looks it over, says, Better not be thinking of selling this sort of thing. This blade, it's... This type of work is meant to be sold. It's meant to be kept. I think I will keep it. And she holds it out to you. Just make sure to get the sheath for it, otherwise you're going to get your heart, yourself hurt. <laughs> Maybe I should name it, too. <laughs> and what would you like to name it, then? Oh, I don't know. Something bold and boisterous, like, like Heartseeker. Okay, I think that's enough conversation between you and me. You'd best keep getting <laughs> home and getting some real sleep. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, Yeah, I'll just... Hard secret of this sort of nonsense. She's, she's you don't like it? mumbling as she walks out of the forge. I thought Hard Seeker was good. <laughs> and I feel like that's where we end. I think we end with you holding this blade in front of you, mumbling about how Heart Seeker was a good name, but looking over this piece, this masterpiece that you've made. It feels exactly how it's felt in your dreams when you've thought of it, when you've pictured it. And I think you finally made it. Hey everyone, it's Kyle. I voice Holland. We wanted to thank you all for downloading and listening to Prison Pals. I know this episode was long. We honestly didn't expect it to be, but that's what happens when you're having fun. Future episodes should clock in around the one hour mark, so don't be afraid. But if you did enjoy this episode, please continue to download and listen to future episodes. We so appreciate you. You can follow us on Twitter at Prison Pals, on Instagram at Prism underscore Pals, and like us on Facebook at Prison Pals Podcast. You will also be able to find transcriptions of each episode on Tumblr at prismpals.tumblr.com. 
We would also like to thank Neil Martin for his wonderful work on our theme song, Hope on the Horizon. If you enjoyed that, you can find him and more of his music and other work on Twitter at Bardic Martin. His work is absolutely fantastic, and I'm so happy we were able to have him compose our theme. Starting with the first episode of the campaign, you can expect to hear what we are calling the Artist Spotlight, where we feature a creator from the LGBTQ plus community in an effort to support and build our community. If you would like to be featured in our spotlight, you can find the link on our Tumblr. Please leave us some reviews on iTunes, and remember to share us with all your friends. And I hope you can't hear my dogs barking in the background. I'm not recording a second one of these. Bye!